Tech Sideline is presented by First Bank and Trust Company. They offer free checking with industry-leading mobile banking. Who you choose to bank with can make all the difference. Visit firstbank.com to learn more. What's going on, Hokie Nation? It's officially week one of the 2023 college football season as the Hokies gear up to host Old Dominion in the season opener. Andy Bitter has all your insight from media availability this week, while Chris Coleman is our guy to preview the Monarchs. That's coming up on episode 307 of the Tech Sideline podcast, which starts right now. We record on Thursday, August 31st from the Tech Sideline High Tech Studios in the Virginia Tech Corporate Research Center. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe to our channel and please share the podcast with a friend. As always, Tech Sideline is presented by First Bank and Trust Company. Check out their new Checking with Perks account that comes with cell phone protection, roadside assistance, fuel savings, deals and discounts, and so much more. Visit firstbank.com to learn about this great new account for students. This episode is also brought to you by The Hokie Way. The Hokie Way's countdown to kickoff matching donations campaign is ending on Saturday night with the kickoff of the football game. Since Monday, they have raised almost $100,000 to bring their total raised amount to almost $200,000. Their goal of $250,000 is certainly in reach. Help them get to the finish line. Visit thehokieway.org to learn more and to donate today. One last little bit here for you. Um, many of us here, the student interns, work for a organization called 3304 Sports, student media at Virginia Tech. And this year, 3304 Sports is attacking the 2023 football season with a brand new goal. Our mission is to cover all 12 Virginia Tech football games and an eventual bowl game to close out this season. But we need your help. Please consider donating to our GoFundMe page where your contributions will go towards covering travel costs for our student journalists this football season. From hotels to transportation, every little bit helps. So head over to TechSideline.com or check out the link in the description to donate to our student journalists today. All right, let's go ahead and introduce everybody on set. Of course, lead analyst and columnist Chris Coleman sitting to my right. Across the way, as always, senior staff writer Andy Bader making her fourth chair debut, Miss Morgan Gay. Producing behind the scenes, Jay Brizzy, as they call him, Jack Brizendine, and I'm your host, Giovanni Heater. Talking a lot of football, fellas. You know, it's my birthday today. There's oh, no place I'd rather spend it than hanging out I, talking I, I football with you guys. That, Gio. I, no, nobody, I nobody believes that. <laughs> I swear. Tech Talk Live tonight, too. Going to be oh, a good time. It? Okay. Going to be a good time. But, anyways, uh, it's finally here. Feel like we've been waiting. We've been talking about football for months and months now, and uh, and now we finally get to crack this thing open on Saturday. Yeah, uh, the thing about football is it's unlike most other sports seasons. It's only three months long football so like you most of the time in football you're just sitting around talking about the next season that's life of a football fan but for the next three months we actually get to watch the sport yeah it feels like football out like the weather mm-hmm. like normally it's like blazing hot this time of year and it's like a little bit cooler like it just feels perfect for the football season. i know it's supposed to get warmer here a little bit but i wish we would just stay right in the zone right now because this is the perfect temperature and, and time of year in my opinion yeah no doubt about it well andy let's go ahead and kind of dive into what you have been up to all week long you've been very busy with media availability um i kind of want to ask you this you know seems like they ramped up media availability and uh what you guys were able to see and your exposure the last week would you agree with that a little bit. I, I think, uh, you know, they had a couple of availabilities last week. Not as much viewing of the practice. I think that they get to this stage of August and 
they kind of keep things under wraps. Don't want to have too much exposed to, to the media as if we're going to divulge some huge <laughs> secret that's going to come out. I don't know. When they put out the depth chart, I don't know what other secrets they're going to have uh, in terms of personnel or anything like that. But, uh, no, it's it's just good anytime we can get out there to talk to people. I love more. <laughs> Any more that they could give us, I would I would eat it up. It'd be great. So, uh, you know, that's a message to Virginia Tech. Give us more. We'll take it. We'll definitely take it. Something that really stood out to me uh, is that you asked Coach Pry about his confidence confidence in turning around the production out of the running game this season. Why is that such an important recipe for success in 2023? I think that's sort of what they want the identity of this team to be. I mean, that, that's what Brent Pry described his offensive vision as when he got here. You sort of pound the ball, run, play action off of that. RPOs, different things you can do. But you, ha- you have to be able to run the ball well first before you can do that other stuff. Everything else is kind of built off of that, or at least... You know, that, that's when the defense starts respecting it and then other things open up in the offense. They didn't really have that last year. Uh, strangely, the best game that they ran the ball last year was ODU and the opener uh, didn't really run it as well as that the rest of the season. Uh, you know, even against Liberty, they ran it OK in that game, churned out some yards. But you looked at their their yards per carry. It wasn't as good as it was in the ODU game. So. Uh, I think if they can get that and get that offensive line turned around, you know, I've said it many times, offensive line, how it performs this year will be the key to this offense in this season. Uh, if they can get that going and get that run game going with, with Tootin and Thomas and, you know, possibly Wells and drones running in the quarterback uh, run game. I think that's a, a key component to how this offensive turnaround is going to be this year. What has changed in how much coaches devolved, but also like, just kind of his cadence throughout this media availability in comparison to last year when he's trying to hype up a fan base and get going for year number one. Just seems like this year's been a little bit different, not in a negative way at all, just a little bit different. A little bit. He's still an excitable guy. I mean, he, somebody asked him about the you know the first game being a sellout uh, yesterday, and he turned into you know full cheerleader mode for the program there for a second. Right. I mean, he can flip that switch, and and you know he's like, okay, it's salesman time. I got to sell this program because that's. You know, that's what you have to do when you're a new coach and you're coming in and uh, trying to get this thing built back up again. So uh, I think just the constant message I've heard from Pry throughout this entire August is he feels that they've just upgraded the talent on the team. They've upgraded the talent, the competition. There's fewer holes uh, in the lineup that they have to worry about where, you know, last year felt like they had to just play somebody because they had to. There, there were no other options. This year, it feels like most spots, there are other options. And that might not be the case in some places, like offensive line. All of a sudden, tight ends a little bit thinner now if, if Nick Gallo is out uh, for any serious amount of time. Uh, but there's, there's fewer spots where you go, man, we just got to play this guy because he's the only one we have. And now they have other people that can go into the game. How did this camp compare to not only last year's camp, but you've been around for quite a while now, to other camps in the past as well? Camp is camp. Uh, it's not going to differ that much. I, I know people like to think from year to year, it's like, oh, man, different attitude, different vibe. It's like when it gets down to it, it's football practice. And most football practice is pretty much the same. It's grueling. Uh, you know, there's points in August where you're like, I don't know if I can go out there and hit my own teammates again. You just want to go out and hit somebody else for once. Uh, there's always those ebbs and flows. There's always periods where, uh, you know, the coach is like, ah, it didn't feel like the team had it today. And maybe they come back the next day. It's like, ah, just, you know, not seeing the crispness that we like to see. And we writers always like a joke. You can always hear that on success, uh, two days in a row, but never a third day. It's always the third day. Somehow it gets turned around. So, uh, there's sort of a maximum of two straight days. You can be displeased with your practice performance, uh, until that seems to turn around. But I mean, it, it kind of follows the same cadences all the time. Because, you know, practice kind of boils down to just being practice. There was a point in, I want to say it was Coach's first press conference uh, of the week where he was asked about how his relationship with Ricky Ronnie and them now playing, you know, year in and year out at this point, um, how they can't necessarily talk football. And I think that was actually one of the questions you asked him. And he happened to say that our fan base really enjoys this matchup and playing Old Dominion. And I kind of looked back at that. I was like, I don't think I don't know if they do. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I heard that and I immediately disagreed. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think you know I've said this before. This is one of those games where sort of like a four-hour stomach ache. You yeah. know, Bud Foster used to call it that. Like nobody enjoys this game because there's no upside in it for Virginia Tech. I mean, you win it, you're supposed to win it. You're, right. Oh, you're beating up on a Group of Five team. You're supposed to be the flagship program of the state. You should do that. You lose it. 
all hell breaks loose. Which we I have mean, twice. It, yeah, it's happened twice, and it's been a you know catastrophe both times. Uh, you know, ODU still talks about that that 2018 upset, and the last time just for the you know comic relief of everything that happened in that game in terms of you know the coaches getting stuck in the elevator at halftime and the snap going past the you know they had should have had yakety sacks in the background while that's going on <laughs> uh you know it, it not it's not funny necessarily but the locker room gets burglarized i mean it's just yeah. everything yeah. seems to go wrong every time they've played down there in norfolk so i can't so yeah like i know a, a coach has to say that when they go oh the fans love this matchup i don't think the fans like this match at all i think they would prefer not to have this on the schedule i'm with you i was surprised when he said that as well um nick gallo listed as questionable just kind of the way it's being talked about do you buy that i don't know you know price said he was in and out of practice yesterday he happened to not be out there when the media was there so we didn't get to see you know see you know knee brace or like i don't even know what the injury is right. necessarily i know when they announced the captain's I think it was like a week and a half ago, uh, and they, you know, all the captains get up in front of the team when they announce them, and they announce Gallo, and like he was kind of hidden behind other players, and Pry went over to him to shake his hand, and he didn't get up, and it's like, okay, that's maybe not a great sign. Uh, I don't really know, uh, so I'll just trust what Pry says in terms of him being questionable. It, it doesn't sound like he'll be available this week, and if he's not. That group gets extremely young very quick. I mean, it's it's Daquan Wright, Benji Gaznell, Harrison St. Germain. They're all second-year players. Uh, Daquan Wright's really the only one who's played significant action. Uh, not really that much as a tight end. I mean, he's, he's mostly been a slot receiver. So if you're looking for the sort of the the tight end, on the line, hand on the ground, dirty work type of guy, they don't have somebody that's done that a lot in a game. And I would imagine that would be St. Germain and, and uh, Gaznell in some capacity. And maybe Daquan Wright has expanded his game uh, in the off season to do that a little bit more, but you know, that's, that's just a position that's very young right now. And I think, you know, there'll be some growing pains to come along with that. You know, you don't want to speculate at all and I don't want to put you in a tough position. So feel free to shoot my question down, but are we looking at a situation where you could see a miss extended time here? Or you think this is like a, a couple week type of thing? I don't really know. They're so guarded about uh, injuries. Yeah. And, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how much of a competitive advantage it is. Uh, if the other team doesn't know if your senior tight end is going to play, like, <laughs> or is the game going to change on the senior tight end and whether he plays or not? So, uh, I find it kind of comical sometimes the lengths that coaches go to, to hide or obscure injury information like that. But, uh, I just don't know at this point. We'll see. I mean, it, I would imagine one way or another, if Gallo's playing, he'll be out there. If he's not, I bet you he'll be on the sidelines. So we'll maybe get a sense of A, what's ailing him, and B, how, how serious it might be. Well, you guys talked to Ali Jennings as well. He's always incredibly enjoyable to hear from. We've had him on the set here before. Um, what does he bring to the table in that uh, media availability? Uh, I thought, first of all, all the guys they brought, they can bring them every time this year. I thought they were all great talkers. I thought they gave great perspective on stuff. I think with Ali, it's interesting. He's playing his former team. That's got to be weird. You, right. know, the, you were teammates with them last year. I know you had a ton of turnover, like 58 new players on the team or something like that. But this is still a program you were with for a couple seasons. And, you know, we asked Fontel Mines, who was also with ODU previously, like, you know, what advice do you give to Ali? He's like, just, just relax. Like, it's, it's football. Just go out there. Once you start playing, you'll forget about all that other stuff. Uh, Ali's got very high goals for himself this year. You know, he's saying 60, 70 catches. Thousand yards receiving, lost ten uh, receiving touchdowns. If he does that, that'll be among the best single seasons in Virginia Tech history. And he's come close to hitting those numbers in terms of. Uh, I think he did have a thousand yard season a couple years ago. Was close last year, missed the last couple games, so he didn't quite get there. But uh, he's a guy who's got proven production out there in the past. And and you add him to Daquan Felton, Jalen Lane, Stephen Gaznell coming along in that receiver room. I think this is a really upgraded receiver room. I'm eager to see what they're like out there and, and, you know, what effect that has on a quarterback like Grant Wells, who all of a sudden is throwing to more than, you know, one legitimate receiver that you have in the lineup. Yeah. He sat in the chair that you're sitting in right now and uh, told us he was going for the single season receiving records, right? It's so. like, what is it? Like 1184. That's I think what it's I was Isaiah, just trying to pull Isaiah up. Ford, I think. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it, you know, Virginia Tech did not have a thousand yard receiver until Isaiah Ford did it in uh, 2015. It was Beamer's last year. Uh, even though Andre Davis got there with the bowl game, they didn't count bowl stats back then. So I, 
I don't know why they can't go back and retroactively Retro update that. We have the stats. We've seen those games. They were on TV. Uh, so it's not like there's this long history of just huge receiving seasons. But, you know, that would still be quite an accomplishment if he could get there, especially since I think it's a pretty crowded field this year. And I think the ball is going to be spread around to a bunch of different guys. That's actually crazy. Just Just to pull this up here because it's relevant. Virginia Tech, like you just mentioned, didn't have one until 2015 with Isaiah Ford. He had 1,164 yards. Then he did it again, broke 1,000 the next year in 2016 with 1,094 yards. And the only people that have come close are Cam Phillips had 964 in 2017. And then you have to go all the way back. The next person to have 900 or more was Andre Davis in 99. I think Marcus Davis came close in 2012. Let's see, 2012. Marcus Davis had 953. You're right. My apologies. Other than that. Nobody has touched 900. Those are the only three to ever get If Tech could have completed a forward pass on that Rutgers uh, Russell Athletic Bowl, I think Marcus Davis could have gotten there. Wow. Yeah, that's fair enough. That uh, So what happened in that bowl game? I, I You're going to have to fill me in. Absolutely nothing. Okay. Yeah. Yep. It rained and it was a sloppy game. It was, it, was, uh, it was the worst game. It was 10 to nothing Rutgers at the end of the third quarter. Okay. And Tech somehow won. Wow. Yeah. The second snap of the game, they snapped it past Logan Thomas into the end zone yeah. for, I think it was a safety? Maybe. Or maybe a touchdown know. for, I can't remember. It was bad. Tech, Tech had three rushing Tech yards. ran for three yards. Yeah. They averaged like three inches a carry or something like that, and they won. So that tells you how bad the game was. Wow. <laughs> it was it was, it, was, it was worse than the Wake Forest Virginia Tech game. It, it was 0-0. It was majestic in how <laughs> yeah. bad it was. It was one of those type of games. One of these days I got to go back and watch that Wake Forest Virginia Tech game. That, uh, that 0-0. No, like, don't. How does that happen? How do, how do you get to that point, play four quarters of football without a score? It happens. Man, we're really hitting Virginia Tech's greatest hits here. <laughs> <we start> <laughs> All right. Well, you also talked to Kelly Lawson and Derek Cantina as well. Those are the other two players that you had the opportunity to talk to. Any takeaways from those conversations? Yeah, I think Canteen, I think I'm just impressed by his maturity. And, you know, I'm writing about that today, just kind of what these older guys brought to the table coming in. Uh, just, uh, you know, we talked to Monsoor Delane a week and a half ago, I think. And he talked about just, you know, how he saw how Canteen was with his film work and how he was with his diet and how he was with his preparation. And, you know, Monsoor is still a young guy. He's a true sophomore has really only contributed five, six games, whatever he played last year at the end of the season. But he's seen how this guy goes about his day professionally, and he started doing it himself. So I think you're going to see those benefits uh, for a lot of the younger guys on the roster that saw how to be uh, you know, a professional-type player and go about it like that. Kelly Lawson, I, I, my takeaway from talking to him is you know, we're, we're standing next to him afterwards because it's post-practice and you're kind of around the table and you just look at him. He's just so tall, <laughs> so tall and lean, and he's, he's pretty jacked now too. I mean, he's added some weight. Uh, and I look at him and I just go, man, this guy's a physical specimen, and when he gets out there, it's going to be really interesting to watch him play linebacker because – He's just so tall and lean and rangy. And you look at that play he had last year against Georgia Tech where he tipped it up in the air, he caught yep. it, uh, returning for a touchdown. Like, man, you're going to see a whole season of that as he's developing more as a linebacker. I think there's a reason Virginia Tech's pretty excited about him. No doubt. And I remember Coach talking about uh, the maturity of Canteen as well and how it's rubbed off. And not only just Canteen, but how it's rubbed off on Monsoor Delane and some of the other underclassmen. So that was uh, – Pretty cool because not always that a coach will open up about about something like that. And I think Brent Pry, correct me if I'm wrong, is pretty good at tipping the cap as well when when guys are doing good things. Yeah, and I, I think that's part of the concern when you bring in so many new guys is how's that going to be? How's that going to be received on the team? How's you know you you're bringing in guys basically saying, well, we needed better players here, and you bring them into the room and go, this guy's going to start. Well, some people might just take that and be like, well, I'm not going to. You know, the coach doesn't like me. I'm not going to do that. Or are you going to up your game and try to be as good as them? And I think the reaction so far on the guys that they've brought in has been pretty positive. And I, I don't think anybody's, you know, I'm sure there's somebody on the team that's maybe, you know, slouching a little bit. It's like, oh, man, my, my playing time got stolen. But it, it feels like they have reacted positively to how these new guys have come in and ingrained themselves on the team and, and the culture of everything. Fontel Mines was the second coach that you guys talked to. Again, anything from that conversation? I think he's excited about the group he has. Uh, and we've talked about this before. I mean, Daywan Lofton is like the 
eighth receiver right now on the depth chart. And he was their second yeah. leading wide out last year. It just kind of shows you the hand he was dealt initially and, and what he had to deal with on, the, uh, you know, roster wise on that team. I think he's just excited about the playmakers he has in that room. And, uh, you know, I stand out of practice and seeing Daquan Felton. I know he was on the, the, the podcast this week. Uh, he looks like a NFL type receiver, like just body wise. He looks big and just lean and looks like he can make plays on the outside. And I would not be want to be a cornerback matched up against him. And, you know, we've heard Derek Jones, cornerbacks coach here say that, you know, they've had plays where they've had him perfectly covered. And he just goes up and makes a play. And, you know, Ollie Jennings, Jalen Lane, add him to the mix. Uh, just a lot more guys, it feels like, in this passing attack that can make plays. And that was something that was sorely lacking last year. We had Daquan in here yesterday, and we asked him, you know, what is it about Fontel Mines? What makes him tick as far as he, he seems to be this elite recruiter? Um, what is it that he's able to do to draw guys like that in here. And he kind of just gave us a short answer and, and, and said, like, that's my guy um, and, and didn't really go super in depth with that. So I'm curious your thoughts from an outside perspective. What is it about Fontel Mines that makes him such a great recruiter? You know, I, I think he's pretty easygoing. He's easy to talk to. Uh, he seems like he's always at PKs every time I've been at PKs. <laughs> he's always over there to a bunch of players and stuff. So they like hanging out with him. He seems like a guy that's just easy to hang out with. I think he's very you know, true about, you know, a lot of guys always say, oh, I love to be at, you know, this is home. Virginia is home. And I mean, Vontel Mines lives it. Like he's from Richmond. He played at Virginia. He coached. I think he's coached at like every school in the state. Hmm. I think if he's coaches at Liberty, he gets a set of steak knives for completing the cycle of coaching at every school in the state. I mean, he's here and he talks about that and he really lives that. So I, I think, you know, guys see that he is uh, very true to his word and, and speaks, uh, means what he says when he speaks. I, you know, I think that genuineness comes through on the recruiting trail. And I think a lot of people are, you know, that's a, a positive for them. Let me uh, chime in on yeah. that. I wrote yeah. a big feature on him a couple of weeks ago. I've sat in his office and talked to him for about 20 or 30 minutes. Uh, I talked to Jim Cavanaugh, former tech assistant who actually recruited minds during the recruiting process. I talked to Lou Johnson, a coach, out in the Tidewater, who has been dealing with mines for 15 years now. And the, the word they all use to describe him is genuine. And it's interesting because when I went into his office and, and asked him, what do you have to do to be a good recruiter? He said, I think you have to be genuine. And then it's, I thought it was funny that a lot of those guys use the same language, the same words when, when talking about him. And uh, without without I mean, I did those interviews separately, like we weren't all in the same room together. I did them separately at separate times, and, and they all used a lot of the same language. So I just think he's a genuine guy, and I think that's that's the most accurate word uh, you can use to describe him. I, and I think he's young enough to relate to players and, and things like that. He's got a commanding presence about him. Uh, I think he's tough on you without being harsh. Uh, just seems like there's a reason Penn State went after him. Uh, like, you, you can't – if you're a wide receivers coach, like – it's not one of those positions where you can hire a really good recruiter, and if he's maybe not a great coach, that's okay. You can hide him. It's not like a tight ends coach or something like that. You know, uh, he has to be a good coach and a good recruiter, and I think it, it speaks a lot that Penn State heavily pursued him in the off season. Yeah, you don't want somebody that's sort of like shy to be a receivers coach. No. Like that's a brash position. Yeah. You need to get guys that are sort of in the mold of their coach, and I think that you know Virginia Tech has some of those guys now. Andy, anything else from you uh, on this past week? Nothing except I'm just ready for some games. <laughs> I feel like I, I sense that around the team, too. It's like, it's okay, it's time to get to these games at this point because it's been a long offseason. It feels like we've been talking about this forever. Uh, go kick it off. Strap them up. Let's see how the, the game goes. I'm in midseason form. Yeah, okay. Okay, I got to tailgate last week. I went to the Notre Dame yeah, game that's last week. True. I'm, yeah, I've got my fix already. How you was that, by the way? You didn't ease awesome. your way into the tailgate not based ease on the my, pictures. No, uh, there was no easing in. No, How no, was no that, by the way? Oh, it was awesome. Yeah. It was awesome. Great stadium, uh, great fan base. Uh, I mean, there, there was uh, obviously Notre Dame fans there all week and every interaction. I've always had with Notre Dame fans wherever has been great. And uh, so, yeah, great time. Loved Ireland. Uh would do it all over again. If you had to put an estimate on your blood alcohol level when the game started. <laughs> oh, which day? 
<laughs> Average for the trip. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even want to know. Carter uh, Carter goes to me yesterday. He goes, oh, I was talking to Chris yesterday, and you know, I was talking in the office, and I go, he says, man, did you really enjoy yourself with some adult beverages at that game? And Chris goes, what makes you say that? And Carter goes, well, you tweeted about it all day. <laughs> uh, so. it was, well, you know, when in Ireland. They, yeah. they, they like to do that a lot over there. Yeah, it's probably not out of, out of character for uh, the not. Irish. Based on my, I went to Ireland once, and, uh, and there's a lot of Jameson. There's a lot of uh, Smithicks, I have Guinness. I, I have uh, Irish on both sides of my family. So there you go. When it's I have a good trip. intemperate moments, I blame it on my forefathers. <laughs> there was uh, where I grew up in Syracuse. There's a like iconic bar that was like right down the street from my house. It's like the spot to go, and it's called Coleman's. Yeah, and it's an Irish pub. Gosh, I need to take a trip. And they do uh, something called uh, Green Beer Sunday. They bring in a giant thing, and never you drink green beer on, uh, on St. Patrick's Day. No, it's oh, St. Patrick's, Patrick's Day. Day. Yeah, okay. Once a year, it's like a big deal. Be yeah. Big deal in Syracuse. But yeah. um, by the way, Notre Dame looked—I hate to say it—pretty good. They did. Look they, good. they looked very good with Sam Hartman uh, running the show. Uh, all right, let's go ahead and head over to our fourth chair. Introduce one of our new interns for this year, Morgan Gay. Morgan is going to be running Tech Sidelines Tick. TikTok account. Check out at Tech Sideline on TikTok, where she'll be posting content very, very soon, especially throughout the weekend. Morgan, welcome. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. But um, I'm super excited to be running a TikTok, talking to Will about it, and trying to change like the age difference of like who listens to the podcast, trying to get a new audience in um, to like see our TikTok and then get them to listen to the podcast. I think it's going to go really well. Pretty cool. And you guys both went to the same high school. I'm very happy to report that uh, <laughs> 50% of the on-camera talent today attended Chatham High School. <laughs> that is that is very cool. In Danville, Virginia? Chatham. Chatham. Uh, yeah, close enough. Pennsylvania okay. County. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, tell us more about what you got planned for this TikTok. I know that like you said, we're trying to reach a new audience with the TikTok, but like any, you have so many ideas. You keep throwing them in all the group chats that we got going. So break it down for us a little bit. Yeah. So I really want to start off whenever all of our schedules are very hectic to get all the interns in and get everybody to just like know who works here. Like the people who aren't on camera, the people behind the scenes, the people who are on the camera, um, the interns who are just started like myself. Um, I've just been like going through TikTok and like listening to sounds or like if I see something and it doesn't even like necessarily have to do like with work or sports, like how can I incorporate that into our TSL days? Very cool. Morgan, uh, you're going to be spending a lot of time uh, answering or bringing up some questions on today's show. Um, I know you have some from Twitter, but first you have one about Castle Coliseum. So what you got for us? Yeah, so it's a reoccurring question that what is happening with the Castle Coliseum renovations? Well, uh, in case nobody noticed, ever since COVID, there's been quite a spike in uh, interest rates and lots of inflation and things like that. So the cost of that project compared to the first estimates has gone up a lot. And I think that's part of it. Second, ever since the announcement of, of that project, you have, you've had NIL. And you're asking those donors now, look, NIL is more important than Castle Coliseum renovations because you have if you want to get the best players these days like you have to pay them okay that's just the way it is so that's more important than whether fans have you know a seat that's two two inches wider right and, and a few more amenities and things like that so I, I think not only is it the cost of it I just think you're asking the same people now to donate even more. And there's only so many times you can go to that well and say, okay, we want Hokie Club donations. Okay, we want NIL. Okay, we're trying to uh, renovate Castle Coliseum. Like, I think the tech fan base is outstanding. And, and they do have pretty deep pockets, but there is a limit. Yeah, and I think uh, a key is getting a big fish donation, mm -hmm. like an eight-figure donation that that would sort of jumpstart this whole thing. Once you once you get that, that sort of gets the wheels in motion. Okay, now you can start doing some actual mock-ups and so get get some actual estimates of what it's going to be. Uh, so you know, if they can get one or two of those, and that's asking a lot, 
because those don't come along every day, that size of a donation. But I think that would help a lot because you just got to get the ball moving on this thing. Mm. And I think if other people see that, you know, here's a big thing to start this, and then all of a sudden they have mock-ups, and there's pictures that you, you know, the stuff they put up before I don't think is exactly what it would look like. And, you know, if cost estimates change, that I mean, there's a varying uh, sort of degree of what this whole thing will look like. But w- once that gets going, I, th- I think that'll... Get the, get that big donation first, and things will kind yeah. of get moving. And, and I also think another thing is, it's such an extensive renovation that they would have to, as, as originally planned, that they would have to play in Roanoke for a year, maybe even two. I've mm. heard, and I think that would be bad for the program if if they lost their home court advantage for at least one season and have to play in Roanoke. Can you imagine going to Roanoke every every night for a game? A lot of and, and the, 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 the students wouldn't, and that's what yeah. makes Castle Coliseum. That's what gives it a home court advantage. So I don't want to. I don't want to renovate it like they originally called for. I, I would like dress it up, uh, clean the roof, I would say, because it's pretty dirty. <laughs> maybe a completely new roof. Uh, you know, maybe widen the, the concourses on the sides a little bit, if you can do that, uh, just to get a little more uh, breathing room when you're walking through. Um, but I, I just, I think with, you know, interest rates and everything going up, I think they were looking for a specific amount of, donations for the project to start but now if the rest of it you're financing and what you're financing the interest rate has gone up on that then it just you might be looking for even more of an initial donation now to to make up for for that so i just don't think the renovation as originally projected as you saw on those graphics released by virginia tech i don't think it's going to happen exactly like that is because some reclining media seats you know widescreen tvs a press row you know Get the essentials for this. Yeah, thing. That's yeah, what we exactly. <laughs> Almost slightly off topic, but you you brought up uh, media stuff, and I I meant to bring it up earlier. Let's take some bets. What's the media meal going to be uh, for the Barbecue. football game? <laughs> that's your that's your guess. That's like I remember ninety percent of the meals that they serve there. So I'm going to go with barbecue. Well, last year I was like, and this is this like wasn't a knock at all, but we were just kind of surprised. Like, um, usually like season opener, they like always go all out, right? And it was Brent Pry's first home game, and it was like hot dogs and potato chips and we were like oh. i was kind of surprised by that um, i would take hot dogs and potato it was chips delicious. over what they oh, yeah. uh, some of the stuff they serve no, now, <laughs> now, don't now, get too fancy like not, media members now that, yeah. now that we're so staffed up now i don't go to the games as, okay. as media right. anymore and i'm talking basketball here right um, but i remember they used to serve us pretty good pre-game meals it would be in the, in the bowman what used to be the bowman room uh, and we'd be eating there in the same room with the big donors and things like that 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 room is now the uh, student athlete performance oh, center yeah. and uh you're not now, getting close to and, that place and, now and those good meals have gone and now you get stuff in a box and it's unpredictable from game to game and i you know Won't i'm somebody I'm, think I'm, of the poor I'm, media i'm, I'm very thing. content to send david cunningham <laughs> there and let him eat that mediocre foods well as a student i'm just beyond grateful (laughs) to even be there in the first place so i don't care what they feed us but uh but i do remember another side note pittsburgh was unbelievable andy you were probably there they had probably the best media i told the pittsburgh's great yeah for media meal because it's in that nfl stadium yeah they have like a carving station sometimes boston college is the best though really because they have unlimited legal seafood clam chowder in the press box so you just load up on that. I mean, it's like three or four bowls every time you go there, in addition wow. to other great food, too. So how, how things change. When I was a student, I covered a Tech Pit game, and this is 2003. And we get up there, and we eat a little bit of breakfast in the morning, and we decide, ah, we're, we're not going to eat lunch. We'll just eat the media meal tonight when we get to the stadium. So we get to the stadium, we set all our cameras down, and we go in search of the media uh, media room where there's food and can't find it and finally we ask somebody who works there and he goes oh well we only feed the media for nfl games for steelers games so they did not feed us and we finally got out of that stadium it's a night game after interviews and everything walk back across the bridge it's like 1 a.m and we basically hadn't eaten since probably 7 a.m and that was just like a donut or something like that oh, no. so my experience at pittsburgh as far as food goes was absolutely horrible because i almost starved uh nice to see that it's improved though another thing about bc and i don't know if they still do it but after the game they will like roll out some beers in the press wow. box. Like, talk about old school like, it's like it's like this feels like you're a newspaper writer in the yeah. 80s or something like that so hopefully uh, they continue doing that that's hilarious i think are you going up to be i think a lot of us yeah. are going to miss the trip because we're going to go to Charlotte for hoops. I will be in BC. Yes. You'll be at BC. Got it. Where are you going to go to Charlotte? I'm going to stay here. Oh, really? <laughs> Missing Hokey weekend in Charlotte. Morgan's got another question for us. This time it's from Twitter. 
I do. Um, from Chris Booth, do you guys think that the Hokies can break 30 points this weekend? <laughs> uh, I, I think they should. I definitely think they should. I think Old Dominion lost some star power on defense. Um, that they, they lost a defensive tackle to Penn State. They lost a cornerback to, to the New York Giants, who looks like he's even going to be starting for them uh, this year. That uh, they actually they lost their other starting corner to, oh gosh, a, a big school in the transfer portal. I, I I forget which school, but it's a big Power Five school where, where where he's going to. So they had good defensive players last year, and they've still got Jason Henderson, the linebacker. But on the whole, I don't think their defense is as talented as what as it was last year. And I think the Hokies improve have improved their talent level. The fact of the matter is. Five of their 12 opponents last year topped 30 points, and that was with a defense that I think is more talented than, than this year's version. So I'll be disappointed if Virginia Tech doesn't score 30 points on Saturday. A little trivia question. Do you know the highest point total that Virginia Tech had last year? Pittsburgh, 29. 29. I didn't realize until yeah. looking it up of right all, now. I didn't realize it. And, and that's the thing. Like If you tell me before the season – Tech's not going to score 30 points this year. They're going to get 29 one game. Who's it going to be? I'd be like, well, Furman, sure, right? Right. Not Certainly that Pittsburgh would be like my last pick. It's very strange. I mean, I, I didn't factor that in when I was picking. The, I picked them to win 31-17. I don't know if we were doing picks at the end to spoil that, but uh, <laughs> I, that did not factor in when I, I picked them yep. uh, to score 31 points. But I think the offense is uh, drastically upgraded just in terms of talent. I, I would assume direction. We'll see. We'll see if that thing's sorted out. I know there's still some offensive line issues, but I think just the number of sheer playmakers they brought into this program, I think that's going to help them quite a bit. And I, I do think they get to that 30-point barrier. Wanted to answer your question for you as well. Robert Kennedy, uh, a loss on the defensive side. He went to yeah. NC State, NC and State. then that's the it. defensive tackle, Alonzo Ford, went to Penn State. Mm-hmm. Morgan, we're going to come back to you for uh, some more Twitter in just a little bit, but now it's time to bring it over to Chris. Let's preview the Old Dominion Monarchs first starting on the offensive side of the ball, and and this is where stuff gets a little bit fun. You got a lot of numbers banged out here. I mean, you're talking everything is in the hundreds as far as uh, their offensive national rankings, except their passing offense was 51st in the country. Well, they lost their best wide receiver, their quarterback's gone, and it's a completely different look. It's just, it's so, they're so hard to get a read on because I think they lost their most talented players. Uh, one of them plays for Virginia Tech now. Uh, two of them got drafted, a tight end and an offensive tackle. and Which is crazy, by the way, that, and I don't mean to interrupt you, that they struggled so much, won three games last year, and they had multiple solid draft picks. Correct, and they had a good More run. than Virginia Tech they had, they had a good running back, too, who transferred to Memphis. They had solid offensive talent last year, but they were horrible offensively. And listen, and they didn't seem that talented when you watch them play, but coaching can make talent look worse than it actually is. And I think that was the case with Old Dominion last year. And uh, I don't think they have that talent this year, but they have a an offensive coordinator who, albeit at a lower level, uh, Kevin Decker at Fordham, what were they, second all-time in total offense last second year? Second best FCS uh, offense, offense ever. ever. 609 yards per game. Uh, Fordham, the cradle of offensive coordinators. Yeah, absolutely. The battle of uh, those. Uh, Tyler <laughs> Bowen. Fordham fans are going to be tuned in with keen interest in this game. Um, Tyler Bowen and Kevin Decker, both Fordham offensive coordinators. Uh, very balanced, but they do favor the pass, at Fordham at least. Uh We'll, we'll see. I mean, he brought in his own quarterback, Grant Wilson, from Fordham, but Wilson was the backup at Fordham. So you've got a quarterback who was the backup at an FCS school who has 13 career passing attempts and threw just five passing attempts last year. He knows the offense, but I don't think he's got that much talent around him. Uh, like there's, I don't think there's an Ollie Jennings to throw to or, or, or Zach Koontz at tight end to throw to. Uh, and I don't think there's a Blake Watson at running back. Um, so there might be knowledge of, in the offense, but I don't think there's as much talent as, as there was last year. Although it's sometimes it's hard to say because, I, like I said, I think they were didn't seem to be particularly well coached offensively last year. So maybe there's more talent than uh, than, there, than there appears to be on this roster. It will be interesting to see if uh, just sort of the system mm-hmm. is the star this year for yeah. for ODU and yeah, the first game you can't tell. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess in the spring game they put up a lot of points, but who knows? Spring games, <laughs> spring games are strange in that regard. Uh, 
but yeah, just this this offensive coordinator they have has a history of looking pretty good, and this, this offense I think it's similar to UCF or similar to the up tempo and the, they'll try to get, you know try to uh, pace you by going fast at times and get the ball out quick to to different playmakers and like that. It sounds like it could be a challenge. I just don't know if they have the personnel right now. But uh, you know, last year I think the offensive coordinator for ODU like resigned. A week before, or two weeks before the season opener, or something like that. That's not a great way to go into the season. That's mm-hmm. obviously not a great thing for Virginia Tech to lose to that uh, team starting <laughs> off. But it, you know, they had some offensive issues last year. It'll be curious. Uh, I'm curious to see if you know, bringing this guy in that has solved uh, sort of the direction of the offense and, and where they want to go. Chris uh, Decker brought his offensive line coach with him from Fordham as well. They came as a tandem with the quarterback. Um, the offensive line for the Monarchs, like Virginia Tech, very inexperienced. It's inexperienced, uh, particularly on the left side. The, you know, their two most experienced players are at center and right guard, but those guys did not play well last year. They played, uh, particularly in the case of Xavier Black, the center. He was one of PFF grading standpoint here was one of the worst centers in the country last year from from a especially from a pass blocking perspective uh so i I like tech's chances of controlling their offensive line i I, you know you know virginia tech's gonna have good defensive tackle play we like to think that they've improved their playmaking ability at defensive end i guess we'll start finding out um even though they lose dax holyfield I, i think overall collectively as a group there's more experience at linebacker just because you're not trotting out redshirt freshmen like you were last year um, so I, I feel good about that matchup, about Virginia Tech controlling the, their offensive front. Um, I do think it helps that their offensive line coach and their offensive coordinator have, have worked together in the past. And I think that was you know, an, an issue for Virginia Tech last year is like that you didn't necessarily uh, – I'm not going to see eye to eye. I don't know. I just don't think it was, it was, it was the right mix. Uh, I think Tech will be better there this year as a result. But uh, I, I do think it's important that offensive coordinators and offensive line coaches be on the same page. I, I thought, you know, during the course of the, the Cornelson, Vance, Vice six-year era in Blacksburg, I, I thought Cornelson's scheme did a good job of protecting offensive linemen, um, like especially that year where Tech started three offensive, three freshmen right next to each other. And somehow they were actually able to put a competent product on the field when you probably shouldn't in that situation. Um, so I, I think that offensive uh, coordinator, offensive line coach relationship is is very important. So that could give them a little bit, you know, that they could hit the ground running a little more, so to speak. Um, but, you know, it's just so many new faces, coaching staff and personnel that, that you don't know how it's going to go. My gut feel is, is that Wilson has probably played pretty well for them because they have named him a team captain. And I don't think you name someone who's been playing bad football a captain, even if he is a good leader. I mean, that, that guy has to be one of your better players. So I, I think if they have issues in this game, and I do think Tech's defense is going to cause them a lot of issues, then I think it's going to be more because of the talent level around their quarterback. So the talent level you talk about, and I'd have to agree that Virginia Tech can certainly give them fits, especially when you have an inexperienced quarterback playing in front of a sold-out, you know, 66,000-seat stadium. That's definitely not an easy thing to do. Something that really stood out um, that you had written in your article as well, they seem incredibly undersized offensively. Receivers not touching over six feet. I mean, look at their second running back, Obi Sinai, five foot nine, mm-hmm. uh, redshirt sophomore. Uh, you know, the the first running back in Keyshawn Wicks doesn't have terrible size, six one, one ninety four, but five nine is 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 pretty small. Uh, there and and again, I go back to the receiver room. Yeah, uh, five eleven, five eight, five ten. There's the heights of their starting three receivers that they've only and they're too deep they only have one receiver who's over 511 so they don't have like a, a traditional outside uh, receiver on this team which might not matter for their style of offense um you know we'll just have to wait on see it and see on that four of their five starting offensive linemen under 300 pounds uh you know running backs not terribly big as you as you said uh and both running backs with limited experience as well and both average fewer than four yards per carry for their career. So you just look up and down on their offense, their players, historically, there's just not much production there. Uh, Javon Harvey's been their most productive receiver. He caught 30 passes last year. But in fact, their second leading receiver last year was the running back, Blake Watson, who transferred. 
Um, so they, they just lost so much production off the offense. And they could – they were so bad offensively last year that I do think they're going to be better this year. But I don't think they're going to be better in week one. Let's flip it over to the defensive side of the football. Um, kind of no secret that last year ODU struggled. The defense was better than the offense. <laughs> Hard to call it a strength, though. Would mm-hmm. you agree with that? Yeah. Um, I, I think their defense was at best mediocre, probably you know slightly below average on the whole if you look at, look at them from a statistical standpoint. Uh, they did lose some good players. Obviously, they, they lost a starting cornerback to the New York Giants. They lost a starting cornerback to NC State. They lost a starting defensive tackle to Penn State. So that lets you know, I mean, there was talent on that ODU team last year. It wasn't like layered depth across the board, but they had some good individual players that, unfortunately for them, they could not keep. Um, with their talent level now, it's kind of hard to say. Uh, Denzel Lowry has been a good defensive tackle for him. Uh, Jalil Taylor has played a little bit. He was a transfer from North Carolina. He's, he's got a little bit of experience, not a ton. Jason Henderson's a really good linebacker, one of the best run-stopping linebackers in the country, but does really struggle in, in the passing game, um, can give up big plays in the passing game, so it'll be up to Tech to be able to isolate him in one-on-one situations. Uh, you know, call it the the Dax Holyfield game plan, right? Uh, it's not that Dax gave up a bunch of plays last year. It's just the few that he did give up, you know, they were big passing plays when opponents were able to isolate him, and that's what you need your coordinator to be able to do. That's what Tyler Bowen has to do in this situation. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how they replace those two cornerbacks who were so good last year. Lamarian James has played, played well in limited steps, last year nolan johnson is 1200 snaps in his career at miami of ohio and at east carolina but he's on his third school which he's never been able to lock down a starting job he's never played more than 300 snaps in a season so even though he's got experience it's you know kind of mediocre experience so how these guys i I would have to say that i think their cornerbacks are not as good as their cornerbacks from last year and virginia tech's receivers are quite a bit better than virginia tech's receivers from last year so on paper should go much better for virginia tech on that side of the ball this time around do you think since virginia tech like we talked about maybe the offensive line you don't want to call it a weak spot on the team but one of the more inexperienced spots Going up against a guy like Amori Morrison, who, you know, was banged up a lot last year, did have a good game against Virginia Tech, Conference USA all-freshman team two years ago. Mm-hmm. Could this be a guy that gets after the quarterback a little bit and kind of makes Grant run around here? Uh, he's probably a guy you look at that, like you said, had a good season as a freshman two years ago, played the first three games last year, got hurt, took a medical red shirt. So he's kind of probably a guy people have forgotten about a little bit. And uh, But I, I think he was poised. He should be poised, you know, to probably be their second best defensive lineman, maybe even their best defensive lineman, and probably their best defensive end this year. So, yeah, he would be a guy to, to keep an eye on for sure. Um, I, I think uh, I don't know too much about, like, the, the other defensive ends, but it's not a big group of defensive tackles. I mean, your two starters are 280 and 285. Um, I mean, generally teams that, that – at ODU's level aren't quite as big as Power 5 teams anyway, so that's not totally unexpected. Anything worth noting on the special team side of things seems pretty pretty routine there. Uh, Lamarian James, uh, two years ago, returned two kickoffs for touchdowns. Uh, so he's one to watch. And also you've got, a, I believe it's Isaiah Page, who's been a punt returner for them. And he was, he was good two years ago. Also, their punt returning and kickoff returns were not as good last year as they were in 2021. But both of those guys showed they were capable two years ago. So that's, that's something you got to be aware of. Like, I'm not like fearful of it, but, but it's something to be aware of. Chris, your final thoughts previewing the Old Dominion Monarchs. Uh, I, I think with so many new faces, it, like you would think with, with Ricky Ronnie and Brent Pry coming from Penn State, so many so many staff members, like Fontel Mines even coming from Old Dominion, so many guys on, on each staff familiar with each other. Justin Harper. Justin, no, Justin Harper played at Virginia Tech. He's now the, the tight ends. He replaced Mines right. at, at Old Dominion. There's a lot of familiarity there, but at the same time when you go out like uh, Ricky Ronnie did, and hire an offensive coordinator outside of your 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 coaching tree, so to speak, and then that throws uh, throws some fog of war into the mix. And especially when you bring in a transfer quarterback, and 
you've got, I, I want to say, I forget the exact numbers that I wrote in the game preview. Maybe you can see it, but it, I, I want to say that they've, their roster turnover ranked something like sixth in the country or something like that. Like they only have like 41 returning players. I thought it was, it might've been even higher. It, might, it, 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 it might be right. Um, what was their record last year? Three and eight, three and nine, three and nine. So maybe not a bad thing. Maybe not a bad thing. Exactly. Uh, So, and then, you know, Virginia Tech had a high turnover rate with their roster as well. So it it makes it kind of, it casts such a fog of war over it with all the personnel and Tech had coaching changes too. All right. And I like to think the optimist in me likes to think that, you know, I didn't think Tyler Bowen had a good year last year, but maybe he wasn't a great mix with those two assistants who left and maybe it's a better fit now with, with the staff. That's what I like to hope. Now, if Virginia tech does not play well uh, offensively, then uh, I think uh, my hopes will be dashed there a little bit. Um, But I do feel good about this game. Virginia tech out talents, old dominion. And if you look at everything that had to happen for old dominion to win the game last year, snap over the the holder's head for a touchdown. uh, And that's possible a 10 point swing. Uh, four interceptions, a couple of which just deflected off receivers' hands. Um, a hell mary at the end of the game to 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 win. They had to convert a fourth and two, like fourth two. and two, where the, the running back was hit in the backfield, right. like four yards in the backfield. Yeah. And it looked like two guys had him dead to rights, right. and he somehow snuck out of there and, and got the first down. I mean, they were that close. All, all of that, all of that had to happen for Old Dominion to win by three points. Coach is getting stuck in the elevator. Coach is getting stuck in the elevator. Uh, and that's, and I hope the elevator inspector is checking that out this right. time. Uh, 15 penalties? Maybe we can get uh, Cherie Berry out of retirement <laughs> in North Carolina to make sure that elevators are in working order here. That's a joke for ACC media and ACC media only. So, like, all that. David Teal loved that. Yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> so, like, all of that plus 15 penalties, wasn't it? 15 for, like, 106 yards or something like that. All of that, and ODU could only win by three at home. This year, Tech, I think, has upgraded their talent level, hopefully upgraded their coaching. ODU's talent level, I don't think, has been upgraded. Maybe their coaching has. I don't know. But the game's in Blacksburg. I just Virginia Tech should win this game. And if they don't, and they, it shouldn't even be, I'm not saying they should go out and win by 30 or 40 or something like that. But at the end, by the end of the game, I feel like you should be able to have a very clear feeling that Virginia Tech is a better football team than, than Old Dominion, and I'll be disappointed if that's not the result. Yeah, if they're going to back up all the optimistic talk of the offseason. I mean, you win, and it's like, okay, that's you know, maybe proof of concept that the things go in the right direction. If you lose, <laughs> man, all that talk is for nothing, it felt like. I, mean, I don't want to say it's the end of the season. you got 11 games left after this, but it's like you got to do something more than talk. you got to back it up a little bit. So this is an opportunity, and this is you, know, you look at the schedule, this is the only team on the schedule that you can say for sure that they out-talent. I, I would say everything else, even Marshall, it's not going to be quite to that level. Great defensive yeah, Marshall. Virginia, yeah, Virginia, you know, I think they're better than Virginia, but Virginia's got a pretty good defense mm-hmm. too. So uh, you know, for where Virginia Tech is right now, this is a team that you should go out and you should beat. The confidence level of the fan base too, I think – I think it's as strong as it possibly can be coming off a three and eight season. <laughs> but but that's still like fragile confidence, right? You go out and lose to ODU again and or or even if you like win and play bad, then I think fans are really like, okay, we recruited well, prize so good with with talking and, and reaching out to the fan base, but we're just not seeing the results and like and, and it's, there's no evidence that we are, right? So I think it's it's important to come out and have a good performance just to uh, just from a confidence uh, boost standpoint. And I, and I think it's uh, because I do think the fan base is very confident considering they're coming off a 3-8 and eight season, but I think that confidence can be broken just like that. Kudos to Chris for this. I just wanted to make sure I answered a question you had asked earlier in the show. Uh, and this is in Chris's article, so again... He found these stats. Uh, Old Dominion's 58 newcomers are the seventh most of any FBS team in the country. And 41 scholarship newcomers is also the seventh most in the country. The Monarchs are tied with New Mexico with six seniors, which is the fewest in the country. And of the 41 players it returned, ODU has 150 total combined starts, the sixth fewest in the nation. What what an age of college football that they have 58 newcomers. And that's that's seventh. 
I mean, yeah, right. six that's, teams have more turnover. Right. Like I'm sure like Colorado, Colorado's probably like a like hundred or whatever the turnover is there. Yeah. But like 58, I mean, that's a lot. <laughs> that is a lot of turnover, and it's seventh. Yeah. Absolutely you better be crazy. able to run a simplified offense <laughs> as a coach <laughs> these days if you're going to have right. this much turnover. No doubt. All right, we go to Morgan for some more Twitter questions to wrap us up for today. From Jenna Middleton, he wants to know what the most most important one-on-one matchup is going to be for this game. Mm. Andy? I don't know if it's one-on-one because I have a tough time naming individuals on the OD, right. ODU defense. I think I look at Virginia Tech's offensive line, and I go, they've got to hold up. Because that's where it starts with this offense. You, you got to have time to get the ball to those playmakers. You got to have holes for the running backs to run through. Uh, you got to give your your quarterback time in the pocket. And uh, you know, who is that? The the defensive lineman you mentioned earlier, uh, Morrison. Morrison. Yeah. Uh, you know, wherever he's lined up, I think that matchup's going to be key because he sounds like somebody who could, uh, you know, disrupt and get through there. And I just I have questions about that offensive line. I'd like to see them play together with some cohesion. Uh, you know, keep the quarterback's jersey clean, get the holes wide for those running backs to get through. I mean, that, that would help a lot. There weren't a lot of holes last year for guys to run through. So uh, that would be my my biggest matchup to watch. I think uh, ODU is going to throw it a lot if you look at Kevin Decker's history. Now, they had a balanced offense at Fordham. They had a 1,200-yard rusher almost last year, but at the same time, they threw it so much that it was heavily favored uh, towards the pass. So they're going to come out and sling it around, I think. So you want your DBs to be able to hold up against these wide receivers. And if that happens, then I don't really see ODU being good enough to establish a running game against Virginia Tech. So uh, to me, they're really going to struggle to score unless they can have consistency in the passing game. So to me, you know, Mansoor Delane, Dorian Strong, Derek Canteen, uh, you know, Jalen Stroman, that to me, those are the guys that are going to decide whether or not ODU is able to move the football against Virginia Tech. Morgan, got more for us? I do. Um, from I lost my tab. <laughs> uh, what is the most anticipated like aspect of this game? Aspect, I think for me, oh gosh, I, 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 I'm a big eye test guy, and I just I want to see Virginia Tech. Uh, just look more creative offensively. I, I dug up some, uh, I've already written most of my Q&A for this week, which will get posted on Friday, but I dug up some pry quotes last night where he was like, we can't be so vanilla on offense and we're too easy to draw a bead on uh, offensively. And he made these comments in the middle of last season when they were really starting to struggle. And and he's right. I mean, if you go back and watch it, there's very little misdirection, uh, very little deception the one quarter they did that stuff, they had 200 yards of offense against NC State. And I'm not asking for 200 yards of quarter because that's unrealistic. But uh, to me, I, j- I just want to see a more functional offense and one that, to me, looks like it can be a successful offense just in terms of uh, passing the eye test. And uh, my other answer would be probably inner Sandman. I, I am eager to see this quarterback situation and how are they going to handle that. Mm-hmm. And they've said... Wells is the starter. Drones is going to play. It's like, okay, but what's the plan? Mm, right. And how is that going to play out? And if Wells goes out and struggles early, do you put drones in right away? Say Wells comes out on fire, but you had a plan to put drones in on the third series. <laughs> do, you, do you alter that? Do you continue with your plan and kind of cool off your own guy like that? Even, even if it doesn't actually cool him off, do you give the perception that you're cooling him off by, by taking him out of the game at that point? So, uh, you know, I said a lot of times this is a tricky thing to do to rotate quarterbacks and somehow get that second quarterback in the game without disrupting the rhythm or affecting your starter in any way. And uh, I want to see how the coaching staff handles that. That's a great point. Like I, I remember the the offensive coaching staff, I think, did a great job managing the Tyrod Taylor, Sean Glennon rotation back in like 2007. I thought in 2003 when they tried to rotate Marcus Vick and Brian Randall, which I don't think there was any reason for Randall was clearly the superior quarterback. Uh, they did not handle that well. Like they lost to Boston College. They come out and they put up 250 yards in the first quarter and are just dominating the BC defense. And they take Randall out and put in Vic and the offense stalls. And the same thing happened at Pitt that year. They got off to a really good start offensively and up. Oh, let's let's put in Marcus now because it's his turn. And the offense stalled and they could never really get it back. And I think the, the, the quarterback rotation cost them two football games that year and, and, and a chance at the Big East title. So that's something that 
has to be very carefully managed, I think. So I, I agree with you. Like, how are they going to manage it? Is it going to be, are they just going to use drones maybe like in short yardage, goal line, every now and then a change of pace, uh, like a Connor Blumrick type when they tried to, you know, in 2021 when they would kind of bring him in randomly. Seldom used. Seldom, yeah. exactly. Uh, and only allowed to uh, run the football, basically. Right. Yeah. And that Tyrod thing is interesting because I think it was so obvious what the plan was there mm-hmm. because they're like, okay, between the 20s, it's going to be Glennon. Then once you get inside the, yeah. the red zone there, okay, Tyrod comes in. Mm-hmm. He was extremely effective. I think I remember him running around in the UBA game Absolutely. and uh, getting yep. to the end zone a couple times, I think, in that game. Uh, I don't know if the, the skill differences are that drastic between these two. I think drones moves pretty well. Yeah. Uh, and I think drone, or I, I think Wells moves pretty well. Correct. I think drones throws it pretty well. I don't think there's this just stark difference between the two and uh, either of their, you know, what you would consider their lesser attributes right now. So uh, I just, you know, the offense was such a struggle last year. And now they're like, okay, now we're also going to do the most difficult thing in football and manage a <laughs> quarterback rotation in some sense. I know they're not going to call it a rotation, but if you have plans to play two, you are technically rotating them. So uh, we'll see how that goes. And, and, and this is like all a part of, of being a football fan and, a, and somebody's trying to cover football before season starts. It's like you see reasons for optimism, but everything we just talked about in this little segment, I could see it being a complete disaster also. Quite possible. Yeah. yeah. That's why football's fun. Let's play the games. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Morgan's got one more for us. If Tech wins but doesn't cover, is there any concern? It depends. Like spread sixteen. Is, by is, the this, way. is this question from Aaron McFarland? It I sounds think it like might it be. should be. Uh, yeah, I, I think it depends. Like if Tech is up by like twenty one or something like that, and ODU hits like a last second touchdown against the backup defense, a backdoor cover, as Aaron would call it. Uh, I don't think it's that big a deal. But if like this is a dogfight in the fourth quarter, then I think it's a big deal. It's the season opener. Weird things happen in season openers. I think you just win and be happy with winning. And if it's not a cover, who cares? If it's, if, if they win by three, it's a win. It's better than they started last year. It's true. It's something they only did three times last year. Uh, so, yeah, it's a long season. You're breaking in new guys. I know ODU doesn't you know, jump off the page as an opponent, but it's a team that beat you last year. Uh, you didn't win a whole lot of games last year. Uh, just to show some forward momentum, I think just winning would be a key thing. And uh, you know, I don't really care what the margin is. I th- just win, baby. That's what I say. <laughs> See, I, I guess I beg. I think to assert, you know, some sort of confidence here. I think you got to win by two touchdowns or more, which I guess is fourteen, not sixteen, but somewhere I mean, in that ball. I, I think if you don't win by at least ten, it's a disappointment. You see crazy things happen. Like there's certainly many times in Virginia's X pass where they did not start off the season well and then they went on to have a great season. Actually some of the most memorable seasons right. in tech history twenty ten have, have right? been like that. But like at the same time from a confidence standpoint, not just for the fan base, players always say they're confident. They always say that in front of a camera, but like when you go three and eight and then you come out and if you struggle to put away ODU in the first game and then you look at the rest of the schedule and, and you're like, well, that's the worst team we played all year. Like how can you maintain that confidence? So I think from a psyche standpoint, uh, I, I don't want this to be a close game. I'll be disappointed if it is, I think. But at the same time, I, w- I want to see how it looks before I, I really, really uh, – go all in on something like that. Yeah, I just, I, I think, how many times have you seen a week one result be completely foreign to what the rest of the season is? <laughs> I think you see that so often yeah, where yeah. it's just like, it just didn't, just didn't come out right. Like they, they, they were just not quite ready for it or, you know, the, the bright lights were too big for them and <laughs> ju- or just an off night. It just didn't mesh or whatever. Or, or the other way around. 2018 Hokies look great against Florida State. Right. You're going to have a right, great year. Exactly. It's, it's just how, how often <laughs> is it fool's gold in that first game? It's like, oh, my gosh, this Bud Foster defense is completely shutting down what turned out to be a, a complete train wreck of a Florida State offense. You just don't know. So this is why – after week one, we always declare Texas is back. Notre Dame is back. But you, you don't know. You don't know until you get into the season. So I would I would caution not to overreact. And I think reacting to based on how much you win the game by, if it's not enough, like you went three and eight last year. Just be satisfied with winning. <laughs> it's true. 
everyone's gonna give me give me uh, a hard time in the comments, but Syracuse started six and zero last year. We're top fourteen in the country, and then they lost every game but one after that. So yeah. it happens, no doubt. All right, before we go, what's coming up this week on TechSideline.com? Obviously, a ton of stuff, especially with the game on Saturday. We'll have a uh, Brandon Patterson video breakdown later today, uh, which I haven't read yet, but he sent it in. I'll be interested because what kind of film do you break down when you've got so many new faces on, on each side? I expect it'll be a wide variety of Fordham stuff, ODU stuff. Uh, I'll have my Q&A tomorrow, which I'm mostly finished with. hope I can get my work done like by noon tomorrow and I'm set up for that. And I think I might like go to the river or something, have like a two and a half day weekend. Nice. I've got uh, something sort of on the new transfers, uh, as I mentioned before, what they've brought to the program in terms of, you know, veteran leadership and the example to, to, to serve for other younger players. And uh, tomorrow I'll be doing season predictions. So I'll have stuff on the record, some over unders, whether I think they're going to hit, I'll go, I'll go through each game and predict each game. Cause people like to see that kind of stuff. So I'll, I'll make a season prediction record and then people can mock me at the end of the year <laughs> when I'm incorrect about that. Awesome. All right. Well, that wraps up episode 307 of the tech sideline podcast. Fellas, enjoy the game. Chris, you'll be there as a fan. Andy, obviously will be up uh, on press row. So enjoy it. Morgan, you enjoy it. And uh, looking forward to uh, looking forward to some football on Saturday. Finally. No doubt. All right, that wraps things up. Episode 307 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. For Morgan Gay, Jack Brizendine, Andy Bitter, Chris Coleman, I'm Giovanni Heater. We'll see you next time.